So, um, good morning. Good morning. We've been, uh, we've been talking about this idea, uh, as Keith has taken us through it, of uh, the core four for the Clemson Foothills Church. Um, so, being saturated in the gospel, uh, having unconditional discipleship, being devoted to the community, and, uh, and then lastly, being passionate disciple makers. And those add to one another. They're, they're ordered. Um, you can't have one without first having the one before it. And, and so that's what, that's what, as a church, we're, we're focusing on, uh, have been focusing on. And uh, Keith has given us a number of sermons, Ben preached last week, and we've talked about, you know, having humility and how uh, we, we can't be saturated in the gospel if we're not humble, because the gospel is humility. Um, Jesus died, and he is the example of humility. Um, and really, you know, eat, eat two through four depends on being gospel-centric, uh, being completely centered around the gospel. Um, this is kind of the sentence I've been looking at. I wrote it down the, the first week that uh, we started talking about the core four. But we need to be gospel-centric disciples devoted to a community making disciples. Um, if we aren't disciples... We're not going to make disciples because we're really we're striving to make other people through Jesus who believe the same things that we believe in. So if we aren't centered in the gospel to begin with, we're going to bring people into something that's either a club or just isn't the gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about that. I've talked about needing humility to be able to do that um, because we're not we're not spreading our gospel. We're spreading God's gospel. Right. We're not talking about who we are. We're pointing to Jesus. We're talking about who God is and why Jesus came. Um, and so one of the, uh, one of the I guess, things that stuck, has stuck with me so far is the idea that we need to know one another and we need to be known. That's something that Keith has continued to say. Know and be known, know and be known. And that idea of community. And so in the past few weeks, we've been talking about being devoted to community. Um, really, for two years, we've talked about being saturated in the gospel. We've talked about having unconditional discipleship. And now we're really hammering, you know, being devoted to the community. And that's us in this room. That's your family group. That's your family at home. Um, it, it's, it's the disciples who you spend the most time around. That's, uh, that's your community. And we need to be devoted to that. Uh, one of the problems is that we, uh, we live in a society that isn't community-focused, right? We're, we're very individualistic in Western society. We think about ourselves. Um, you know, I was just thinking uh, through the week about how my brain is trained. And it's not trained to think about a group of people. It's not trained to think about a family or an extended family. Um, it's, it's trained, really, to think about myself and what I need to do for me to make things happen, right? So, you know, we can think of a couple of kind of cliches. Um, believe in yourself. If you can dream it, you can do it. Walt Disney. And then uh, my favorite, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the change. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. So, um, Michael Jackson. <laughs> there's nothing inherently bad about these quotes, right? It's, there's truth in them. But this is how we think. We think about ourselves, And that's the problem. The problem isn't, you know, making a change in yourself isn't bad. The problem is that all we think about is ourself. And for me, all I think about is myself. You know, how can I become 
in high school a better student or a better tennis player or a better soccer player? Um, how am I going to be you know, great at whatever it is I'm doing, playing cello or pl- playing piano? It's really about advancing myself in society. And that's not community. That's not Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's selfish ambition. And so we have to untrain that thought process and that mindset, um, getting away from being individualistic and moving into community. Because that's, that's how the Bible was written. That's, that's the type of culture that Jesus, that Paul, that the other apostles were speaking to. They're speaking to a community-driven culture. Um, they understood what it meant to be a part of a family. Uh, they lived in houses with families. They uh, spent time as a unit. They, they probably m- more than us, they understood, um, you know, where they came from as Israelites and the community, God's people, his kingdom. When, uh, when we see the word you most of the time in the New Testament, it's not talking about, you know, Alex Burke, Ben Galbraith, Olivia Witt. It's not talking about you. It's talking about you all. It's talking about you as a community, as God's people. What do you need to do? What, what is the gospel for you as God's people? Because Jesus isn't the head of Alex Burke. Jesus is the head of the church. It implies a plurality, right? So, um, so today, what we're going to look at is is the book of Second Corinthians. We're gonna we're gonna sink into uh, just a small section of it. But before we do that, this may be hard to see, but we're going to talk a little bit about Corinth, the book of Second Corinthians. Um, you don't have to read most of that, but this is from the Bible Project, which we've talked about for a few years. It's a great great program. Uh, and it's talking about chapters 1 through 7 of 2 Corinthians and what's going on. Because when we dive into the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, we see a whole bunch of names, a whole bunch of events mentioned. Um, we're in a situation that really doesn't make sense as a reader who didn't live in Corinth, as a Westerner who is 2,000 years removed from this whole situation. We, don't know what's, we really don't know what's going on. We have to read 1 Corinthians. We have to make inferences about what was missed and lost in between those times. Um, What was Paul dealing with? What was Corinth like as a society? Um, And we don't have that just jumping into 2 Corinthians. What we do know is um, that uh, this is most scholars name 2 Corinthians as Paul's fourth letter to the city of Corinth. And so when we get to Second uh, Corinthians, we already have First Corinthians, which is just a letter to Corinth. We call it First Corinthians in our Bible. And uh, in First Corinthians, Paul mentions a letter before that. So we know at some point he must have written to them yeah. before what we call First Corinthians. And then in between First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, there's a span of time uh, where we see Paul mentioning that he made a painful visit to Corinth. And we see this uh, this tension between Paul and the Corinthian people. Um, he calls it a painful visit and, and for a number of reasons, but there was a lot of disagreement between the Corinthian people and Paul, which is a little bit ironic because Paul started the Corinthian church. Uh, we see that in Acts 18 when he uh, is in Corinth. He starts the church there. And then there's just all of this, uh, this tension and strife that comes up for a number of different reasons. So uh, one of those Reasons. One of those uh, ideals of tension is uh, Paul plants the church. He leaves. There's some amount of time 
goes by, and the people of Corinth start to doubt Paul's credentials as an apostle. They start to doubt that he really has any authority in their lives. And so um, when Paul returns, they really don't take him seriously. They, uh, they, they, don't, they don't think of him as a true apostle. They question, you know, how can you tell us how to live our lives as Christians when you really are unimpressive as a speaker? Uh, you don't have any credentials. Where are your letters of recommendation, they say? Um, you know, they bring up all these kind of funny things that really don't make sense in, in light of the fact that he planted that church. Uh, but but we, see, we start to see some of the brokenness of the city of Corinth. Um, and so Corinth is a, a Greek city. It's not based in Judaism. It's much different than a place like Jerusalem. And so Paul, uh, Paul isn't speaking to a bunch of Pharisees, speaking to people who grew up in a Greek society with a different thought process, different philosophies. And, um, and, and they, they want him to kind of prove himself. And so he has this painful visit where he speaks to them, and we don't have a letter that was potentially written between First and Second Corinthians, but he wrote something to them. And it seems that the Corinthian people had a change of heart and that they repented largely. And now we get to Second Corinthians after there's been disagreements, after the people of Corinth have doubted Paul and then repented after he's come and visited them personally and then sent them another letter uh, pleading with them to change. We see that they have changed. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians verse, or chapters 1 through 7, he has this theme of reconciliation where he's talking about being reconciled with the Second Corinthian, or sorry, with the Corinthian church. Um, and he speaks about, he's saying, you know, I still love you guys and remember that. And he talks about, uh, he goes into some different theolo- theological ideas. Um, he talks about uh, largely the gospel, the, the shift from the old covenant in Judaism to the new covenant, which allows the Gentiles, and in this case, the Greek people, to be a part of God's kingdom, because before they weren't, and now they are. And, um, and he focuses on uh, telling them to move from this fleshly point of view to a spiritual point of view. Uh, so this is uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 16. He says, uh, From now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And in the city of Corinth, Greek philosophy was a big thing. Uh, and there was this idea, without going into it too deeply, there was this prominent way of thought where uh, the Greeks differentiated between a person's outward flesh and a person's inward soul. And we understand that idea because it's been around for a long time, but this was a different way of thinking for the Greeks than it was for, say, the Jews or, or people in different nations. They had this idea that a person is different on their outside flesh than they are in their inward soul. And their inward soul transcends and continues on into, for example, the afterlife. And so what Paul is doing throughout these first few chapters is using their own language to speak to them. He, uh, we see, you know, we don't, we don't regard people according to the flesh anymore. They would have understood that because they have this idea of flesh versus soul. And 
um, Christ came in the flesh, right? And so they understand that Jesus was a human, and they understand that people are humans, and they have these outward appearances, outward characteristics. But Paul is saying, yes, I understand that you know that, and we can agree on that, but we don't view people in that way any longer. We now need to change to a spiritual point of view. We need to think of spiritual things and view, pe- view people in the same way that Jesus views people. Um, so that's just kind of uh, how he's writing. He, he's writing in a way that, that speaks the same language as them. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. And I'm going to go through and break it down a little bit. Uh, we're going to go one verse at a time. So feel free to turn there. Um, We're going to go through a number of scriptures, but we'll be largely in 2 Corinthians. So in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so now we have this idea of being a new creation. And this is part of our gospel, in the same way that it was part of their gospel, that we're, we're a new creation. Um, and we have a purpose. In, uh, in Ephesians 2, it says we're God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this idea of being a new creation, it's not just that we were baptized and that we became part of God's kingdom and now we're, we're new and it ends. It's, it's the idea that we're a new creation with a purpose. Uh, our, our way of thinking has gone from fleshly to spiritual. And now our actions need to back that up, as we see in Ephesians. You know, they're good works, and those good works prove that we are a new creation. And we'll, we'll see that reiterated again. In verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So what does the word reconcile mean? Uh, It means to restore a close relationship between, uh, to allow for harmony, uh, to make compatible. And so we see that we weren't compatible with God. And the Greeks would have understood this probably on a different level than we do, they were incompatible with the Jews and they weren't even allowed to be a part of God's kingdom, at least in their minds. Um, but this reconciliation to, to the people of Corinth, it's, it's twofold. Not only are they allowed to be part of the kingdom now, but they can be one with God. They are now compatible with God and his people with the gospel. Um, and he goes on, says, uh, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. So we're going to sit on that for a little bit, this idea of being ambassadors. Um, yeah, I appreciated what, what Olivia was talking about, just spending these, these times going to, you know, going on adventures with with people in our communities, um, spending quality time, getting the highs and lows of people's personalities. Uh, Three hours in a car with little food will do that to any group of people. You you, you see a lot of funny things come out. Um, 
But, but that's good because that's the only way that you really get to know your fellow brothers and sisters. It's the only way you're going to get to know people is if you are known in your highs and in your lows. And so as we, we think about this idea of community, it's not, it's not let's come to church on Sunday and let's come to church on Wednesday and maybe see each other in passing. It's this, this needs to be our lives because these are the people who are going to be in heaven with us. This is, this is the gospel. Uh, our, our people need to be the ones we spend time with all the time, right? Um, so I, I appreciated that because that's the whole focus of this is being fully devoted to the community uh, in, a, in such a way that as a community, we're ambassadors, not, not just individually, but as a whole. It, it really depends on each of us. Um, a couple Wednesdays or Sundays, one of our meetings ago, Keith handed out this this sheet of uh, um, personal characteristics for those of us that were there. It, he he asked us to you know, go home and look at this list of characteristics, uh, personal traits. You know, it had things like humility and um, leadership. Um, the word handsome was on there. <laughs> but it was like 20 or 30 different things. And he asked us to go home and, and try to figure out the top 10 that described us. And the purpose of that was not so that we could understand ourselves better. It was so that we could understand the community. Because if we know who we are and if others know who we are in our deepest, truest characteristics, that's how we can complement each other and be a, a whole community, a full community. And so um, we continue to come back to this idea of we can do things like identify ourselves or ask others to tell us what they see in us, but ultimately it needs to come back to us as a whole, not us individually. And so Paul is talking about being ambassadors for Christ. Um, An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Most of us knew that. So how are we ambassadors? We're officially authorized or accredited by God and sent by God's kingdom, which is his country, as a foreigner to the world, which is the foreign country, to make an appeal. And so the word ambassador really implies a bunch of different things. But the first of those ideas is that we're foreigners. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are here to make an appeal to the world, but as a community, we should be removed from it. And so what does that mean for us as foreigners? A couple of questions just to think about or write down if you're taking notes. How do you view this world in your job, at school, in your household, playing video games, watching TV, whatever you're doing throughout your day? How do you view this world? And then on top of that, what would your passport, your spiritual passport look like? Um, For anyone that's traveled, you have to have a passport to go to most countries, and you definitely have to have a passport to get back into this country. And uh, some people manage to have dual citizenship, so they have two passports. You could have a passport in, say, the UK and the US. And... Um, you could have a passport in Malta and the U.S. <laughs> um, 
So that's, that's permitted by some countries. But God's country doesn't allow dual citizenship. Yeah, you, you, can't have, you can't have a passport to God's kingdom, but also maintain a passport to this world. Does that make sense? Um, but I think it's, it's really easy to try to do that. Uh, there are a lot of good things about this world, right? And, and God created it for our enjoyment. And there's a lot of fun. There's ups and downs. It's, it's very easy to want a foot in both and to be able to come and go to want to be able to come and go as we please to have citizenship into God's kingdom to be saved to get that you know ticket to heaven but also to be able to live our lives here and be one with the people who we're spending time with in the world be one with you know our coworkers to be part of that party crowd or even just to be invested in the world you can you can be you can be a citizen of this world without being lucrative without being debaucherous um you can be a citizen of this world and still look good to a lot of people. And I think that's, that's what it comes down to. That's what we have to get away from and, and change the way that we think about. Um, I'm going to go through and read a few scriptures just about being foreigners and, and how our view on this world should be. Because for Paul, it was clear that we aren't a part of this world. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We have one passport and it's in God's kingdom. And if we want a passport to the world, we have to get rid of that passport to God's kingdom. It's one or the other. In 1 Peter 2, it says, as foreigners abstain from sin, live so honorably that the Gentiles glorify God on the day he visits us because of your good works. (laughs) Hebrews 11 says, these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, a few others, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw what was promised and welcomed it from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Hebrews 13, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that's yet to come. John 15, If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, And that is why the world hates you. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world. James 4, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. John 18, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And so as God's people were foreigners, we can't consider earth our home. And I think that that is, I know for me, that's a foreign concept um it, it, it it's not something that i grew up thinking about and therefore it's difficult to change to that way of thinking even yeah. as i've been a disciple for 12 years it, it's it's way easier to think of myself as a citizen of this world oftentimes because that's where i spend most of my time uh, i spend a lot of time at work around people who aren't thinking of their citizenship in heaven they're thinking of what they need to do to get the project finished for next week or to you know go home and spend time having fun after they clock out for the day. Uh, it's a lot easier to think of those things because I spend a lot of time around people who are thinking about those things. Yeah. Um, but Paul's clear that we're foreigners and that we're not of this world. 
So we have to change to that way of thinking. And as foreigners, we are here because we're ambassadors. And so there's a purpose to our citizenship in heaven. And we're still here. You know, Paul talks about uh, longing to see Jesus, longing to go home to be in heaven. But he stayed on earth for a long time and he advanced the gospel and he was one of God's ambassadors. So what does that mean for us as ambassadors? Because of this, so Paul just has finished talking to the Corinthian church about the gospel, about the reason for their salvation, about being foreigners. It's because of the gospel. It's because of the shift from this old covenant, old covenant into the new covenant where Jesus has died to allow us to live in him. It's because of this that we are now ambassadors. Um, so who do you represent in your daily life? And what would your people say? For me, my, my people are, you know, my coworkers, um, my boss, uh, maybe a tennis partner or um, certainly at times my people are my family group, but you have to consider the fact that we don't spend eight hours a day with each other. That would be nice, but most of us have to go to work or school to make money or get a degree, and we're not spending all of our time around other disciples. It was the same for Paul. He, instead of accepting payment from the churches, which he gets a little flack from, uh, from the Corinthian church, instead of accepting payment, he worked. He, he worked through the day to make tents and make a living so that the churches wouldn't have to be burdened with supporting him. And so we know that he wasn't spending every waking moment in the temple courts or surrounded by other Christians, other disciples. He was interacting with people in his community. And we need to be interacting with people in our community, but what would those people say if you asked them, what am I about? This is, this is challenging for me. I'm not up here just telling you guys to think about this. This has been challenging for me this week as I've thought through it. Because if I asked, if I went to work tomorrow and you know, asked my three or four closest coworkers what I'm about, I can imagine what they would say, and it's probably not that I'm about the gospel or that I'm about Jesus and that I'm you know, really being an ambassador for Christ, trying to not be of this world. Um, you know, they'd probably say something about, you know, I'm the, uh, I'm the athletic geek because I'm decent at sports, but I can still program. Uh, and that's a rarity in our field of work. Um, uh, they, they might say something about, you know, I like to play board games or, um, you know, I like my dog. You know, things that happen in my life that I talk about. And just thinking about asking that question to my coworkers really reveals a lot about my heart and what I spend my time talking about and, uh, and representing at work. And it's oftentimes it's not Jesus. So think about that. What would your people say if you asked them that question? Um, so we need to think about who we represent at work or school or at home and who we, rep- who we are representing to the people we spend the most of our time with. <coughs> It's, uh, it's, it's easy to act like an ambassador on Sundays and Wednesdays, right? Or at family group uh, at dinner yeah. when you're around other disciples who are like-minded. But if that's where we're ambassadors, then we just became a club, 
a club is just a group of people who think the same thing, have similar ideals, and agree on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, you can join a club anywhere, and it's really not that hard. And it doesn't accomplish a whole lot. It, it, it might be fun, and that's maybe the biggest accomplishment of being a part of a club. What we need to do is be ambassadors to the world, not to each other, right? right. So think about what you stand for. Now, you know, ben, ben talked last week about sometimes it takes grit, right? Sometimes you have to power through it. You have to be uh, a little hard, you know, not be a wimp. I think one of the, one of the big things I notice, maybe it's always been this way, but I feel like more in the past decade, we've become, the, the society that I spend my time around has become really offendable, very offended. Anything you say is going to offend somebody. Um, right. And, and what that produces is a bunch of people who are tiptoeing and afraid to have conviction, to call others to conviction, to challenge one another, and to be open to having true debates or constructive conversation about beliefs. That's the only way we can arrive to conclusions is if we have open conversations and are willing to talk about what's sometimes difficult to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so who do you represent? Oh. <laughs> I really wanted to wear a Gamecock shirt this morning. <laughs> Because I think, it would, I think it would bring up a lot of emotions and a lot of people. Or, you know, in the same way I could go to Columbia in front of a much larger crowd and wear a big orange Clemson shirt. I think I'd get a lot of, I'd get a lot of emotion riled up in a lot of different people. And you can take that for what it is. But I think a lot of times it's easy to represent something like a football team. Um, you know, at work, it's football season. People talk about football. Are you representing your colors or your football team or whatever sport it is more than you're representing God? I think that can get in, that can get in the way of being an ambassador to people. Yeah. God doesn't care whether, you know, we see this with Paul kind of one of the synonyms could be Paul going to the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles aren't these Jews. And if Paul came in representing the Jews and speaking Jewishly, it really wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come off very good to these Gentiles, to the Greeks, because they understood Judaism as exclusivity, um, as this community that they weren't allowed to be a part of. And, that's not what Paul did. He spoke in their terms. He, he talked in the way that they thought. He, uh, he understood the Greek culture, and he immersed himself in it. So it is kind of funny to, to show this, but think about how strongly you're representing something of this world. It, it might be this. It might be something else. But if this is the type of thing that you're representing, you're not being an ambassador of God. You're being an ambassador of Clemson or of USC or of whatever other college or thing it is. Um, and we need to be removed from that type of thing, right? So we also need to think about, as an ambassador, 
in a, in a political ambassador, for a political ambassador. They go to other countries. They spend time you know, speaking and appealing to people in other countries. They have to understand who they're speaking to and some of the cultural you know, things of that other country that they're going to um, while representing the country they're coming from. And what that means is that their actions, their deeds, their voice, everything that they do is representative of that country. So for us, what appeal are you making with your actions, with your deeds, with your voice? So this has been really controversial. We're not going to get into the issues behind this picture, but a lot of people will look at this image and it brings up emotions in the same way that Clemson and USC bring up emotions. This picture brings up emotions. And I'm not going to talk about the picture, but more about what appeal are you making in your response to these types of things? This is what's going on right now. 10 or 20 years ago, it was something else. In 10 or 20 years from now, there's going to be something else controversial. I could have put a picture of Trump up here. That'd be controversial. But God doesn't appeal to humans through this. He appeals through us, and we have to be his ambassadors. So consider how you may have reacted to this. Maybe it's not this, maybe it's something else, but this is this week's controversy. How have you reacted to it? How, how have you represented God in your reaction to this advertisement? Because God's plan for salvation is Jesus as the head of the church. It's not Facebook. It's not politics. It's not social activism. That doesn't make those things wrong. But that's not God's plan for salvation. His plan for salvation is the church. And as a community, we are the church. We need to be ambassadors as a community. That means we have to represent God in everything that we do. That includes what we post on Facebook. That includes how we're involved in politics. How we respond to controversial advertisements. Whatever it is, we need to represent God and not ourselves, right? So I just wanted to put that up there because it's controversial. But the point is that we need to be a gospel-centric community not tied to this world. And things that are controversial like that, if we allow them to, they tie us to this world. So this this is a quote from... Bonhoeffer, uh, he has this, a collection of his writings called The Cost of Discipleship. Would strongly encourage you to read this book if you haven't. I'm just going to read an excerpt. He says, The member of the body of Christ has been delivered from the world and called out of it. He must give the world a visible proof of his calling, not only by sharing in the church's worship and discipline but also through the new fellowship of brotherly living. If the world despises one of the brothers, the Christian will love and serve him. If the world does him violence, the Christian will succor and comfort him. If the world dishonors and insults him, the Christian will sacrifice his own honor to cover his brother's shame. Where the world seeks gain, the Christian will will renounce it. Where the world exploits, 
he will dispossess himself, and where the world oppresses, he will stoop down and raise up the oppressed. If the world refuses justice, the Christian will pursue mercy, and if the world takes refuge in lies, he will open his mouth for the dumb and bear testimony to the truth. For the sake of the brother, be he Jew or Greek, bond or free, strong or weak, noble or base, he will renounce all fellowship with the world. For the Christian serves the fellowship of the body of Christ, and he cannot hide it from the world. He is called out of the world to follow Christ. Again, we're being called out of the world. There are so many things that want to tie us down to the world, that want to pull on our strings and keep us in the world, but we're not of it. As ambassadors, we need to be outside of the world. And, uh, and our actions are a visible proof of that calling, a visible proof of our ambassadorship. Um, you know, Royce read John 13 this morning where it says, by our love, everyone will know that we are Jesus' disciples if we love one another. So a couple of... Final questions. How do we be ambassadors? How does this look? We need to be devoted to community. That's here. That's in our homes. It's in our family groups. And this idea that there should always be room for somebody else at the table. Um, you know, we really need to slow down. It's, uh, there's, there's a book called Slow Church. And kind of the overarching theme of the book is that we live in a society that has McDonaldized everything. Everything is fast, it's easy, it's quick, and it's one and done, and we move on to the next thing. But that's not the community that we see in Jesus' ministry, in Paul's ministry, in the ministry of the disciples and the apostles. We see a willingness for slowness. We see time spent at a table around food with one another. Uh, one of the big issues that Paul brings up with the church of Corinth is their inability to wait for one another to have these meals together. Yeah. And, and so we need to slow down and we need to spend time and make time to be at the table with each other. Uh, that's one of the big reasons we have family group is so that we can meet at least once every week and have a meal together. Uh, you know, last week we met, our family group met and uh, I had a busy week beforehand, which, you know, is common because we're always busy. And I was tempted uh, Friday or Saturday to just kind of tell everyone to bring a Subway sandwich and it would be fine. And right after having that thought, I, I was reading this book, Slow Church, and it was talking about, you know, how preparing a meal together and enjoying it at a table <laughs> causes us to have conversations that we wouldn't have normally. It causes us to, to slow down, to think, to, to look at each other, to pass food around a table, to spend that quality time together. And that's a small thing, you know, whether we bring food or make food, but I think that that small thing makes a big difference. If we spend time preparing food and, and, and are okay with an hour or two hours or three hours eating that food together and having a conversation, that's where the gospel is spoken. That's how we're a community of ambassadors. And having, a, having an extra chair always available for someone else to come in is how we are ambassadors to those in the world. That's how our friends and our coworkers and our classmates 
come and join us in that effort. So as a community of ambassadors, we need to know one another and to be known. A couple of questions. Are you spending time at the table with your community, with your family group, with your roommates, with your neighbors, with your classmates? Do they know that they're welcome? Have you invited them? Ambassadorship isn't inviting people. Ambassadorship is the time at the table, but we have to invite people for that to happen. Are you spending time at the table? Do your words, actions, and lifestyle represent God, or do they represent something else? Are you an alien, or does the thought of leaving this earth seem alien? I think for me, it's usually the latter. Leaving and going to heaven and, and longing for that home in heaven, I'm not, I'm not where Paul is, where Paul was in my thought process yet. But that's where we need to get, because we're not of this world. We're waiting for our home in heaven. And then lastly, does your life suggest that you're on a mission? Um, ambassadors have a mission. Our purpose is to spread the gospel and to be a part of this community that's the church.